This is the Women Encouraged Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so it's a joy to welcome you here to these conversations about loving God, loving His Word, and growing in faithfulness to Him. Thanks for being here. Well, hello, friend. I'm so glad to welcome you back to another conversation in our Good Theology series. Throughout the last several episodes, we've been exploring various topics and talking with different guests who are helping us to grow in understanding more how good theology shapes us and grows us as women. Our theology doesn't just stay in our heads and do nothing. It comes out in how we live and respond to God and to one another. In this episode, I'm talking with Abigail Dodds, wife, mother, author, and now podcaster. She chats with Tilly Dillahay about Christian life in the home on the lovely Home Fires podcast. But today, Abigail and I talk about several topics related to what it means to be Christian women. We also discussed common terms like complementarian and biblical womanhood. And we talk about how these terms might serve us well, depending on the types of definitions we use. One thing that I really praise God for is how Abigail always points me to scripture and to our God who does all things well and lays boundaries for us in good places. I am praying that this conversation richly blesses you and provides you with much to think about and live out as you seek to glorify God as a Christian woman. So let's get started now with my conversation with Abigail Dodds. Abigail, I'm super happy to have you back at Women Encouraged. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I have a handful of repeat guests and every one of them I just enjoy so much. So I'm so thankful that you're here. Let's just dive right in and ask you to reintroduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Abigail Dodds, married to Tom, and we live in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, We've been here, well, I've been here since I was 18, came up to the Twin Cities for college. So I think I count now as a true Minnesotan having lived here longer than than Iowa, where I was born and raised, which is really odd to think about for me. Like, I don't know. It's just weird to to live longer in, in this place than where you grew up. So anyway, we've got five kids. Our oldest is 16 and our youngest is seven and then kind of all in between there. So we're we're kind of spread out in life, like just busy going, kids in different stages, different seasons. Tom's an elder at our church, so we have a lot going on there, just with busy with ministry and life and, and just trying to love the people in, in our life and community. So, yeah. And in true fashion, this is a very real lifey podcast with us both being home with our kids. And, you know, yes. I I had a good laugh when my guests a few <laughs> months ago had a little guy call out can you come wipe me (laughs) like that's so par for the course for this and I love I really love your example online of just being with your people loving your people serving them and caring for them and I'm so thankful for the writing and the work you do you have written a book and you're are you done with your second book I'm done writing it yes I'm done writing it but it, it won't be out until I think what I've heard anyway is September 2021. So we got some okay. waiting to do, but yeah, okay. done writing, thankfully. Bread of life, that one's called. That's so exciting. I love that. And you and there's recipes too, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm so excited about that. Oh, yes. Yes, there are. I'm so pleased. Yeah. I followed along with your, your COVID quarantine. Oh, COVID sourdough. sourdough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was yep. that was fun. I had a starter going, I think, ahead of time, and then I just kind of like followed all your updates to make sure that I was doing it the right way and right. harassed you on Instagram, like, what is going <laughs> on? Is this normal? <laughs> so, you know, that was so much fun. What a fun, what a fun thing to kind of do during yes. quarantine. But it, I had to totally laugh because I said to Tom, I'm like, you know, I'm going to put these videos together. What do you think? You know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions about sourdough because so many people are doing it over mm-hmm. quarantine. Maybe it'll just be helpful to do these videos and then the questions will all be answered. Right. Well, in reality, the videos multiplied the questions I was times about say. a thousand. <laughs> And I said, well, I've sort of done the opposite thing maybe than what I intended. But, you know, it's so much fun. I love answering people's questions about sourdough. It's way fun. Well, I appreciated your graciousness with me and and doing (laughs) that for me. So, well, we're talking today. This is part of our Good Theology series, which I am personally so excited to start sharing with our listeners. As we record this, we're going to be launching the series next week and 
I'm thrilled because I think this is necessary on so many levels. All these conversations fit a certain need for uh, women with the different questions that we get at Women Encouraged, the the comments that we get, the, the emails. And so all of these are kind of tailored to address specific ways that our theology is worked out in real life. What does it look like to have good theology in these areas of our lives? And so theology, of course, is the study of God and who he is and what his word has to say for us. And so with that as our underlying assumption here, Abigail, I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. can we dive in with this conversation about women, womanhood, and how we relate to the church as well? I I told you before that I'm not super into the word complementarian because Mm -hmm. I feel like it comes with too many nuances that you have to distinguish from one another. Are you broad? Are you narrow? And how does this all work? I don't really have a label for myself. I just trying to be faithful. That's it. (laughs) That's all I can say is trying to be faithful to God and to his word. But for the purposes of the conversation, can we talk about the word complementarian? What does that mean? What is, how is it different from being egalitarian? And also how do our, how does our theology shape our understanding of what it means to live that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think a pretty simple definition of complementarity is that men and women have complementary, not complementary, but like suitable or fitting roles as they relate to each other in the home and the church. And then some would say, and also in society or in the world as well. So that's basically how I understand it is that it's this idea that men and women have distinction in their roles and how those play out in life. And specifically then that like pastors and elders are men and that women have a particular role in the home and in loving children, especially as they're raising them as they're younger, et cetera. So that's generally how it's understood. Um, I would say that egalitarianism would believe that there are not distinct roles for men and women in the church. So women are could be a pastor or an elder. A man could be a stay-home dad who cares for the infant. And that there's no real sense of fittedness to either of those for men or women, but they're kind of more interchangeable. I mm-hmm. think that's a fair way of saying it. So in terms of what we need to believe about God mm-hmm. and in order to fit this theology into our life, what has to be true about God in order to be an egalitarian? So let's start with that one. Right. Wow. That's a great question. And I love how you're framing that as what do we know about God? And then how does that inform how we understand this? Because, well, I'm not going to directly answer your question right off. But what I'll say is that, is that if we believe that God is intentional in what he does, that there's purpose and providence in his works, including the creation, then it becomes, I think, fairly difficult to be an egalitarian. I would even say it becomes very difficult to be what's called a narrow complementarian. Because as believers, we don't believe that God is arbitrary in any of his works or ways. So that's a pretty basic thing that I think most believers would assent to, maybe having not thought it through all the way, but we don't think God is just sort of randomly out there doing things. You know, he's not eeny, meeny, miny, mowing his decisions or his, his ideas about what's good or what's not good. We generally, I would say most Christians would say, no, God has intentionality in what he does. What he does is objectively good, Mm -hmm. you know, so then the question for someone who believes that what God does is objectively good and that there's intentionality behind what he does is, well, then why men and women? Not so much even like, you know, what what can I do or what can't I do, but what's the goodness in it? Like, mm. what's the purpose, the intentionality? And when you see that God is a God of order, that he's put structure into the world, that he's put authority and submission into the world, woven into the fabric of everything, really. It makes a lot of sense when he made man and woman 
it wasn't like he lined us up and then said, here, I've got some softball teams that I want you guys to play on. Count off one, two, one, two, one, two, all the ones over there, all the twos over there. And the ordering is truly in that case, it would be like truly inconsequential. <laughs> right, right, right. But there's no sense of like ones are leaders and twos are, are to submit or to help. It, there would be nothing like that. It would just mean two different groups. But if there's, if the order matters for something relating right. to something like authority and submission or some kind of design, like a fittedness, you're on this team because you're, you're good at batting and you're on this team because you're good at catching. That would make more sense. There would be a fittedness to it. And when, you know, when Paul mm -hmm. talks about men and women, that's the word he uses is it's fitting. Like it's fitting for a wife to submit. These different things are fitting in the Lord. Well, what's fitting about them? And I think that's the question that most people don't want to answer because it's hard. I don't think right. it's too hard for us, but it, it can be hard and certainly offensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's that. You're talking about how it is hard to, to work this out, but I also feel like I agree with you about that, but I also feel like there are people in academia right now who want to make it more difficult than it actually is. And they're actually setting up this whole, I don't know if it's just like, they're trying to develop a structure where you have to have achieved a certain level of education or study or scholarship in order to be able to speak into this issue. And that is discouraging to me as a woman who has a very small nursing degree. I've never went to Bible school. I, you know, I'm home with my kids, but surely I should be able to look into God's word and say, no, this is what he says. And I can believe that it's true without somebody coming along. Sorry, this is my frustration coming out, Abigail. <laughs> Without somebody coming along and being like, well, actually, if you would just read this book, you would understand the real truth about what men and women are supposed to be and how we relate to one another. And I just do not, I don't believe that that's true because I believe God's word is for everyone and it's accessible to all of us. Do you have thoughts about that? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. <laughs> I, I just think you're hitting on something so important and we may not understand everything about the scriptures, but that doesn't mean that what we're understanding isn't true. And so I think that's an important caveat to have. I have heard people talk about Paul when he says, you know, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man because the man was created first and then the woman and the woman was deceived. You know, when he's saying all that, I've heard people comment on it by saying things like, this is so complex and there have been hundreds of different people who've spent their lives studying this and they don't agree. And therefore we may not say anything too concrete about it because different Christians that we love disagree on it. Therefore, shh, everybody shh, don't say anything. You know, I don't think that you need a PhD in anything to be able to read that and at least get a basic sense of what Paul means. Right. You don't have to be super smart even. He's saying Adam was made first, there's an order in creation and therefore I'm going to restrict some of the things that a woman can do in the gathering. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I mean, that's maybe a hard pill to swallow, but it's not too hard for us to understand. Right. And there may be more difficult things to understand in that passage as well. But those more difficult things that maybe come a few verses after or wherever mm -hmm. don't negate what is significantly clear. So right. those are, you know, I just would want to encourage women. You don't have to understand everything to get the things that you do get. Right. And and that's just kind of how we handle the Bible is there are more clear things and less clear things. And if the thing that is fairly clear, but very difficult is the very thing that everyone wants to run away with and say, well, no, it can't be clear. Mm. We ought to be asking, is it because it's difficult that we won't let it be clear? Or is it because it's not clear that we won't let it be clear? So those are two different reasons. And while we don't want to get in impugning the motives of others, at some point for ourselves, 
we have to answer the question honestly. Right. And we have to look at the scriptures honestly and be willing to stand before God honestly and say, okay, you've said it and now what? You know, and so right. without impugning others, I think we can deal very honestly with ourselves and even with those around us in such a way that we're encouraging people to trust the scriptures and encouraging them to love the scriptures fully rather than kind of obscure what is difficult, even if it is clear. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. I wanted to say also that I don't know if I actually said this when we were recording or before, but we want this to be a gracious conversation. Obviously Mm -hmm. we're not, like you said, we don't want to impugn motives or there. It's worth pointing out that I have wonderful dear friends that attend churches where women pastor or in leadership. And I love those friends deeply and I disagree with the theology behind their the the choices their church leadership has made. And I would say there's even I would be willing to even say that there's some dangers there that I I would have concerns for them or the way they're reading scripture. But at the same time, it does not change the fact that these are believers in Jesus Christ who are working out. Some of them are really truly working out these things or trying to understand what does God say. And some of them just feel like, nah, it's okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, that we fall along the spectrum there. And and I love these believers. And I love, you know, I love the women who are part of Women Encouraged who disagree. And so this isn't to, this isn't to shove anything down anyone's throats. But really, the goal with this conversation is to encourage you to think through the scriptures and think through what does it mean to live out a biblical theology of womanhood? What does it mean to be a woman in Jesus's church? Okay. Speaking of biblical womanhood, (laughs) it is like a dirty word now, isn't it? It's like, it's like the thing we all need to, we've all been damaged by, (laughs) by biblical womanhood somehow. And I, I have a lot of feelings about that, but let's not get into my feelings. Let's talk about (laughs) why is it that um, so many people feel that biblical womanhood is a dirty word or a negative thing? Yeah, you know, I actually don't 100% know. I I think, you know, again, assuming the best of others, I'm guessing that some to some people it's a dirty word because it was used in a sinful way Mm. toward them, you know, so maybe it's a dirty word to them because someone used it to basically like bar them from knowing God or something. Mm. I I honestly don't know for sure because that hasn't been my experience. Right. I do know that sometimes, or maybe this, maybe biblical womanhood for some people became a replacement for being a Christian. Right. Um, And so instead of coming to know the Lord through faith in Christ alone, biblical womanhood became a legalistic version of attaining Christi- Christianity for women. So maybe that's what happened in some situations. I could totally see that as happening. I wouldn't put the blame for that, though, on people who say biblical womanhood is important. Mm-hmm. I think we're all prone to take our hearts are bent toward legalism. So we're very prone to take a teaching that is that should be a result of the new birth right. and make it the thing that will achieve our new birth. And so I think whenever we talk about biblical womanhood, we should really, really make sure that we're emphasizing the supernatural new birth is the way that we come to know Jesus. It's how we are made alive and made children in his family Mm -hmm. and are united to Christ, our savior. And that new birth is what gives us eyes to see everything in God's word is true and good and that God himself is true and good and for our good and all his works and ways are true and good and for our good. So without that peace, of course, biblical womanhood is going to become a horrible, horrible, unachievable goal that will condemn you to hell if you don't have the new birth. Like it will become like circumcision or all the things that the Galatian church was trying to add on to the gospel. If you make that thing ultimate as your means of getting to Jesus, it will condemn you in the end. So maybe that's why, maybe that's what it's become for some people. I would love to, you know, re- reorient the conversation and say, let's, let's 
remember who we are because God made us that. And then let's be who we already are. Meaning, yeah, let's look at what it means to be a Christ honoring woman. Let's look at what it means to be a Christian woman Mm -hmm. and let's go for it with the power of the spirit because we are new, not because we're trying to achieve newness. Right. We can only walk in Christian womanhood because we've been given Christian legs and a Christian heart and Christian muscles and Christian eyes, you know, like all those things are empowered and given by the spirit. And Mm -hmm. then we're able to walk the way we're supposed to walk. So, yeah. So I, I do, I really appreciate that explanation because I, without wanting to like get into it very deeply, I understand. And I, I was, I grew up in amidst people who felt very strongly that this is kind of the thing that even though maybe, maybe they wouldn't use those terms to say that this is what saves you, but they felt very strongly that this is so closely tied to your salvation that it is um, not just evidence that you are walking with the Lord faithfully, but that it is basically the key, the thing that will keep you in line so that you will ultimately end up with the Lord in eternity. And so it's not the overflow of a heart that's transformed by Christ, but it's more the thing that you're patching on yourself, trying to, to make sure that you are, you look right and you look appropriate. And so I definitely understand that perspective of perhaps people feel that it's a bad thing because it's been used against them or it's been used to maybe keep them in line and not train them in righteousness, but, but just keep them from going to hell or something like that. Or I, I, I can understand that perspective. I guess I, I think one thing that I've observed as I talk to women that are kind of maybe coming out of a legalistic mindset, I don't, I don't know what things are like culturally where you are, but I live among a lot of people that um, grew up Mennonite and came to Christ. And actually they don't believe that those are the two, sorry, they don't believe those are one and the same, that they were a Christian when they were in Mennonite, in the Mennonite religion. And so they are coming out of a legalistic lifestyle and trying to understand what it means to walk faithfully with the Lord. And one thing that resurfaces pretty continually is the need to define our terms according to God's word and to agree with God about his word. And when you Mm. posture yourself in agreement with God, you're actually able to, I think you're able to heal from abuses because you're able to say, no, this is the truth of God's word. And because this is the truth of God's word, what was done to me or what was the way I was oppressed or the way I was trained was not God's word. And he is not okay with that. He does not condone that kind of treatment. And so that does, those are the first steps really, I think in healing is as posturing ourselves in agreement with God and what he has to say. Um, When you were talking about biblical woman as it had been poorly defined, I was thinking about how we wouldn't ever say biblical marriage is a bad thing because it had been misused. We would never say that. We would say, no, you need to learn how to live in your marriage biblically. We wouldn't toss Mm -hmm. the whole concept of biblical marriage altogether just because it had been poorly defined or poorly demonstrated to us. I'd love to hear from you if you have more to share about that in terms of why it's so important that we apply God's standard and make his goals our own. Right. Well, we have to be able to at least want to see what he's doing as a good thing. And I think this is where a lot of Christians will go into sort of a grin and bear it mentality when it comes to the scriptures. Again, that does all, always mean that we have to have been born again. Mm-hmm. Even for those who have been born again, many get into this mindset of, I'm just going to grin and bear it. I don't like what the scriptures say here. I don't, it doesn't sound good to me. If I were doing it, I'd do it differently. But because God is saying that this is how it has to be, well, I guess I'll just go along with it. And that is exactly not what we want to be as Christians. (laughs) We want to be. Uh, we we want to love God and his ways. And I think the best place to start would be to ask him, Lord, I don't see this as good yet. I want to. I want to love your ways, even though I don't currently. 
And be honest, he already knows. Uh, it doesn't do any good to not bring to him the true things that are happening in our heart that are sinful. We need to bring it to him, not in a kind of a way like, well, he can handle all my garbage. It's like, well, yeah, he can. Bring it to him respectfully and then ask him to help you change. And he will. He will help you change. He will help you see his ways as good. It, but it takes a reorienting of our mindset. You know, I was just, I just started knitting again. I have not knit for like two years, a little over two years, hardly anything, which is so sad. Uh, but I picked up knitting again recently, just thought, oh, I'm going to ease back into this, made a few really small, easy things, thought, oh, I'm going to start this other project. Still pretty easy, but a little harder than what I had been doing got going on it, really enjoying it. And it's looking good from a distance. But when you get up close, there were some mistakes. And I was like, oh no, I made some errors in this. And should I rip it out or should, are they not bad enough? Should I just keep going? (laughs) So I asked my daughter who is good at crocheting and has an eye for these things. I'm like, what do you think? Do I need to rip it out or should I just plow through? And at first from a distance, she was like, oh, mom, don't worry about it. It looks great. And then as she got close up, she was like, oh, well, yeah. And so anyway, I ended up ripping it out. The point being that sometimes we get going in our Christian life and we're just knitting along. We're just doing the stitches and it's looking okay from a distance. But when you get close, you realize, wow, you know, I was, I got some things wrong early on and it's going to affect this entire garment. Like the whole thing is going to be a little bit off because of this. And I really ought to go back and tear out all those stitches and start over and reorient myself to doing this properly so that it's not crooked or completely off the whole way. And a lot of us just, what happens is because we've been working along and making progress in a certain direction, even our errors have become precious to us. <laughs> and this is what happened to me in my knitting. I was looking at it and it was sort of precious to me because I worked on it and I hadn't been doing this for a while and I didn't really want to tear it all out because there was something precious even in the errors to me. We do not want to get precious about our errors in the, when we're walking with the Lord. We want to right away <laughs> go and say, you know what, I'm starting to rip this out now because if I keep going, It's going to be even more work to rip this all out and get it kind of reoriented properly. So we have to be willing to do the hard work of tearing out the stitches, getting things right so that our life is oriented properly to God's word. And that, dear friends, is not uh, God being mean. Mm -mm. That is his grace to us to Mm -hmm. say, let's get this thing ordered properly. He's giving you eyes to see that it's not ordered properly. Let's, let's recalibrate this. Let's get this right from the start. Because if we get those errors woven in at the beginning, the whole thing's going to be off and Mm -hmm. it might look good from a distance, but you get up close, you're like, whoops, you know, yeah, (laughs) that didn't quite work out. That's such a powerful example to think about because whether it is sin or error, if God has allowed you to see this and mm-hmm. he's opened your eyes, the last thing that we want to do is push that aside and say, it's very inconvenient for me right now. <laughs> you know, this is not going to fit with my lifestyle. It's not going to fit with my my social circles or how I want to do things today. That is never, you're never going to find blessing in that. Right. I, I want to kind of ask you though, what what would you say to the woman who who has lived for years in this understanding that Paul is misogynist or perhaps her church has taught that these are just cultural things that have been interpreted for years when we've been actually reading 1 Corinthians as a family at dinner and one thing that struck me really hard the other night was Paul goes through all these teachings and in the midst of this, he's giving instruction about how the church should approach the Lord's Supper. And he says, I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And I said to Alex, my husband, I said, you know, as a church, we have no problem saying that Paul received this teaching from the Lord Jesus himself, and then he delivered it to the church. But then we will take out all these other little things in scripture and say, 
but that one doesn't apply to what Paul actually received from the Lord. That's not it. Mm-hmm. And that's confusing to me because, I mean, it might be the benefit and, and the grace of God that I've just not struggled with that. But how would you encourage somebody who maybe is kind of in that place where they're listening to this thinking, wait, what about this? What about the cultural thing? And what about, yeah. is Paul a misogynist? Right. Well, first of all, if you think it, you're not alone, if you think Paul's a misogynist, <laughs> uh, most all of us do actually, uh, hmm. not intentionally, but most all of us have, we've all absorbed the culture. Hmm. And I think uh, recognizing that is probably an important step in the process of kind of <laughs> maybe breaking free from it. Hmm. It's just to recognize all of us are coming with that because we've all been soaking in this in this pot, this cultural stew, right. and it's going to take a little bit of work and some real honesty to hold up kind of our gut reactions to the scriptures and say, "Whoa, those are not good gut reactions to what God says." And then I think what's really helpful and what has been most helpful for me is to recognize that when Paul and the biblical writers talk about things relating, especially to men and women, like submission or women's roles in the church or different things like that. The arguments are, are never grounded, are not grounded culturally usually. So for instance, when Paul is saying things like, I don't permit a woman to do this, he doesn't ground it in like, because it wouldn't work very well in this culture. He actually grounds it in in the creation account Mm -hmm. and in how the order that God made things. And that is something that will apply from now till, till Jesus comes. And so it's not, he's not giving us rules that are just for a certain time and and things like submission and headship in marriage. What does he ground those in? Well, he grounds them in the ultimate reality of Christ and the church, which again is another thing that is going to apply to all all marriages across all cultures at all time. And so just recognizing that when the Bible is talking about these things, it really is arbitrary in the least. It's it's grounded in our bodies, meaning the way we're made, which is across all cultures at all times. We all, female bodies are one thing and male bodies are another thing. It's grounded in, so how he's made creation, the order he's made it. It's grounded in pictures that are ultimate reality, that are eternal. Christ in the church. So just remembering those things, I think, helps us then to say, okay, I see that this is not just a cultural thing. Therefore, how can I move to understand it as good? If mm-hmm. this is part of the actual good design, and if this is meant to reflect eternal good reality, how can I live it as good now? What, right. what can I see as good about it now? Lord, help me, help me start to see it. Help me start to use my mind to start thinking through and reading carefully what's good about this. Hmm, That's super helpful. I am very blessed by that. I think my mind kind of automatically goes to the, that I don't know, just (laughs) that place where you think, well, then just don't, don't think, don't think negative thoughts about Paul. (laughs) Like somebody, I don't know, somebody had said, Oh, years and years ago, there was a feminist author who said, oh, reading Paul made her scalp itch. And I was just like, just <laughs> stop it. Just stop. <laughs> I don't think that's really solving the problem. I, your explanation is much better than mine. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably a legit, legit, <laughs> legit response. Just stop doing that. <laughs> and there's another, there's a passage also in, I think it's Second Peter. I don't remember if it's First or Second Peter, but Peter says that, that Paul writes hard words and Mm. that people who are determined to will twist it to their own destruction ultimately. Mm -hmm. And that's a very sobering thing to think about. Like Paul writes these words and Peter's backing him up. Like these are good words. They're hard and they're difficult to understand sometimes and people will twist them. And Mm -hmm. if you ever thought that the other authors of the Bible didn't have Paul's back, it's right there. Like, you right. know that, that Peter is um, agreeing with Paul about what Jesus has delivered to Paul in that right. sense. I think that was, that's a very helpful, that was helpful for me when I was kind of wrestling through conversations with people like, well, what, what is, what is true about this? What should mm-hmm. be, I be thinking? And so I came across Which that is, person was very encouraged. <laughs> it's kind of funny too, that Peter says that just because it's like, oh, Peter, your words are all so easy. You know, yeah, like right. we do, we do understand <laughs> what he means. Right. But you know, it is Peter too, that says, Sarah called 
obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that even that sentence, most women don't like to say it out loud. No. That Sarah obeyed Abraham by calling him Lord and that you are her daughters, Peter says, if you do likewise. Yeah. And if you don't fear anything that's frightening. Yeah. And so I just think we've got to start saying these words out loud and not letting them stick in our throat mm-hmm. or be too freaked out to say them. Uh, because the more we come under like the norm of scripture, like this is mm-hmm. what's actually normal and right, the less it does feel then foreign to us. And then the more we're kind of like soaked and saturated in it, the more the spirit works to help us see and be empowered by by those God-breathed words, you know, from Peter about Sarah. So Yeah, that's so good. And there's a funny little thing going around the internet right now. I think it's because Christmas is coming and there's um, this ad for you can buy a title in Scotland and you can be a lord or lady. <laughs> I told Alex <laughs> I'm going to buy this for him. But it's out of obedience. <laughs> Like oh, that's so Lord. perfect. Oh, my word. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I probably won't, but I just think it's so hilarious. Like, oh, I could just be calling you Lord. And it's like, I think I, you should actually. <laughs> yeah. That's such not a great that, idea. So we're not, we're not advocating that you go around calling your husband Lord, but, right. but don't be frightened of these words in the Bible. Don't read right. them like, ugh, so outdated. Well, And it would be super easy to just call them Lord. I mean, the whole point is her Mm -hmm. heart posture was one of respect and obedience and reverence. How much harder is that? Like, yeah, much better than just saying the word is actually having a respectful heart that honors and, you know, submits. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not so much just what comes, not just what comes out of your mouth, but Mm -hmm. it's what is your heart doing while you're, while you're doing it. Speaking of another, the next point I think we're, we're tackling here is that our theology doesn't sit around in our heads and do nothing. And I think we've kind of explained this in some ways, but um, mm-hmm. it's going to work itself out of our fingertips. It's going to come out of us in our social media, the way we speak about men, the way we interact with men, the way we interact with other women. It is going to work itself out in how we live this out in the church. And so mm-hmm. do you, I'd love to hear whatever thoughts you want to share with us about what biblical womanhood looks like, practically speaking, and what should characterize us. Yeah. Well, one of the really wonderful things I think about biblical womanhood is that it is so, it doesn't all look exactly the same. I mean, it, and what I mean by that is it has the same principle, but it works out in vastly different circumstances. And so those vastly different circumstances mean that it looks differently for different people. So you can look through the scriptures and see the different circumstances that God put godly women in. And because they're walking in godliness in those particular circumstances, their womanhood maybe looks a little differently, you know? going through all the different narratives, you can see, you know, from the Hebrew midwives to Abigail with her foolish husband. And then you've got, goodness, just a ton of different, you've even got Deborah and JL who are doing some very unique things and they're living in godliness and faithfulness in the time and circumstance that they've been placed in. Then you've got, you know, say Sarah and the kind of meekness and quietness of spirit that Peter admonishes us as our example for these new covenant believers. It's interesting because we do like to look at all the narratives and say, I'm going to model myself after, you know, JL. Mm -hmm. I think the point of the scriptures is not really to say, go be JL or go Mm -hmm. be Deborah. Uh, Those narratives exist because they're part of God's story. The, The point is, You need to live like a Christian woman in whatever circumstance he's put you in. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to go try and like circumstances of someone else and then live into those circumstances. This is like submission too. You know, we submit to our own husbands, which is why submission is going to look pretty differently for different people Mm -hmm. because, you know, in one house, you know, the husband it it may be a certain situation where he's saying, I want us to be hosting people 
three times a week for this event and this event. And could you help with that? And submission looks like getting really good at that. Mm-hmm. And it could be another house where the husband is like, we really can't have people here more than once a month because of this, that, and the other thing in our life. And so could you please tone down our guest list? Well, submission is just going to look 180 degrees different for those two women. Right. Yeah. We just have to get used to the fact that our lives are lived by faith and in the wisdom of the spirit, which means we are not actually cookie cutters of one another, but the same principles apply to all of us, meaning we're all supposed to be living those particular circumstances out with meekness and gentleness in our spirits, with submissive hearts and all those things. So what does biblical womanhood look like? Well, I'm not going to tell you what it looks like in terms of what you're actually doing, but I'll tell you what it looks like in terms of what kind of a person you are, which is you're going to have a meek and submissive heart. You're going to be fearless in the face of frightening things. I think that's probably my favorite part of being a Christian woman is that we are called out to be fearless. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that probably is even though there's such an emphasis on being brave in our culture right now, I think there's such a giant chasm of courage among Christian women generally, especially when it comes to this topic. Oh my goodness. You know, no one wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Even the very thing that we're commanded to teach other women by Peter and Titus, teach them these things it's the one thing we won't teach. Right. We're like, oh no, let, 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 let me teach about this other thing over here from um, you know, this part of the Bible or whatever. Mm-hmm. The one thing that we're for sure told we have to teach the younger women. We're like, no, no, I don't want to touch that because frankly, they're too afraid. Right. And so I just want to say, you know, just want to say to women, what would it look like for you to not fear frightening things? Well, what are you afraid of? You know, like. And, and so we have to be honest with ourselves about what we actually fear because most of us think, well, I'll be brave by doing this thing that's lauded by the culture as brave. When in reality, it's not brave at all. Like it, everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's some hashtag activism or something. Right. As a matter of fact, to not do it would be more brave because you'll get more pushback from not doing it. So it is just true. trying to orient ourselves toward true courage in Christ is different than what the world calls being brave. And so, and Christian women in particular are commanded to not fear frightening things. Mm-hmm. So it's so true that we, we would, we want to have the um, position, I guess, of being the Titus two woman without having to actually teach the things that the Titus two woman is supposed to be right. teaching. <laughs> so it's like, right. yeah, the whole love your husbands and children thing. Well, we don't really want to talk about that. Right. Like, what be, does that look like? Be a worker at home. Be, you know, doing things that are not defaming Christ. <laughs> you know, what does that look like? And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so yeah. such a good point. And we also, I think we don't like to get practical about these things too. Like we yeah. like to talk about the feelings of love and what, what do you need to do with your life so that your life is easier for you to love your husband and easier for you to love your children. But when it comes to the nitty gritty of like actually just waking up in the morning and being cheerful when it comes to making breakfast with a smile or um, sending your husband off with a kiss and saying like, I'm praying for you. And these things that actually look like love and service and activity, we don't want to teach these things because it would actually also mean, I mean, I don't mean this in this in a condemning sense of anyone, but it would mean that we would ourselves have to be living them. Have to be doing yes. them. That is always where the rubber meets, meets the road, yeah. does it not? If we want to know why we're afraid of them, it's because we have never reckoned with them ourselves. Mm. And I speak from experience. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you have to actually do business with yourself right. in order to help others do business with themselves. And that, of course, is always going to be our number one hangup for why we won't go certain places. And there's it's more like, to be said for a woman doing it in her own home and inviting other women in to be there while she's doing these things than standing up in front of a church and telling you all how to do it. I think right. like we, I don't yes. need to show up I don't need to go to women's ministry and watch somebody talk about it. I need to be, Mm -hmm. I need to be in it with them or have them in it with me. And I think that that does far more to spread the good news of the gospel than just telling everybody 
go home and love your husbands and children. Like, well, how, what does it look like? What what is this? Put some flesh on it and, and do it. Right. Because that's when you're able to get into the nitty gritty of saying like, your husband's asking you to do X Mm -hmm. and what he's asking you to do isn't a sinful thing. Right. It's particular to you, to you Mm -hmm. and him. And so what does it look like for you to do that? And helping women then not make their standard for submission another woman right submission right this is what we're all so prone to do because we look at another woman who seems to be doing pretty well in the submission category and her submission looks like like i said before that hosting three times a week or whatever and so we're like oh you know what i'll go i'll submit in my marriage by hosting three times a week well no only because <laughs> your submission can't be oriented to right. another woman it has to be oriented to your husband right so it's just, we get ourselves in a little bit of a tangle when we aren't being specific to our own context with one another. And when we're kind of holding up examples and we're not spelling out the fact that your husband's different from your husband's different from your husband and to be oriented to him more than to a, another woman over yeah. here. So, but that's part of the issue too with, with the culture we're in is we've made women a special interest group, mm-hmm. kind of put them in a place over here and said, you know, here's team women or here, here are women over here who have their particular needs of women. And instead of saying, okay, we're, we're part of the body of Christ and women's needs can be met by, you know, her, her husband and she can minister, you, you know, I don't know. I just, I well, think there's some problems with turning women into their own particular group all the time. There are cases where it's good for women to meet alone and things sure. like that. I'm not against that, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely get that. And I think you're, I think you're hitting on something that's really true where because of the hyper-focus on women's ministries, a lot of the time what happens is that we're all siloed off from the rest of mm-hmm. the church. And instead of mm-hmm. being part of the body that's ministered to by the by the elders and pastors and being shepherded as a, as a group of believers, we think we have to go off and have our women's ministry where we all kind of, it's all very insular and we are very Mm -hmm. internally focused instead of being empowered really to go out and do ministry. Um, I mean, if that was the goal of women's ministry where we're okay, how can we love serve, build the body of Christ here in the church or whatever, that would be one thing. But when we are, when we're siloed off and we are like, we have our own women's pastor, we have our own thing going on over here. We're Mm -hmm. not building the body of Christ at large. We're just doing our little thing over here in our club. Yep. That can be a real, a real issue. We have touched a lot of big topics. (laughs) I've loved having you here and I am super thankful for this conversation and thankful for your fellowship in the gospel, Abigail. I'm super grateful for just the way you are able to articulate so many of these things. And it's just been a blessing to me in my life at home here in my home and the work that I get to do with our Women Encouraged team and the women that we get to serve on the internet and locally. So I'm super grateful to have you here. Thank you for being here. Oh, you are welcome. It's so much fun to be here. I'm going to ask you that question. I ask every guest, what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in walking faithfully with him? Yeah, you know, I don't have anything too too unique to say, but hopefully it's just the same thing that probably everyone says, which is just being in his word every day. It was so interesting. Are you doing the Bible reading yes. challenge? Yes. Yeah, so you'll you'll be familiar then with what I'm going to say. We're in Acts right now, mm-hmm. Joshua and Acts. And I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before, I can't remember now, in Acts where Saul before he becomes Paul is persecuting the church Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's just ravaging the church. It's, it's horrible. And the, the little line that stood out to me, I think it says this twice is that men and women were being dragged off to prison and just coming under all kinds of persecution. And I thought, you know, in our culture right now, where women so desperately want to be equal to men in all the ways that the world would define as successful and like getting honor and glory for ourselves that because of Christ Jesus, we really are equal in one of the most profound ways possible, which is we're counted worthy to suffer for the name. Like we are co-heirs with Christ. And when, when Saul was ravaging the church, he didn't just haul away the men 
he actually hauled away the women too. And I think, you know, the Bible talks about suffering with Christ as something that's granted to us, something that we're counted worthy to do. And I think of all the things that we as women can rejoice in, in a way, not that we want suffering, but we can rejoice that even as women, we're counted worthy to suffer for the name. We really are his children. He really does count us as co-heirs fully. And that is by the women in the church, the early church being dragged off to prison with the men because they professed Christ. And I don't know, it was an odd way of being encouraged, but I was deeply, deeply encouraged by that. That's beautiful. And it reminds me of how vital it is that we are steeped in the word, that we can see Mm. those connections because you can't divorce this idea of biblical womanhood, like you've talked about from the scriptures, from understanding who Mm. God is and and what his word Mm -hmm. has to say. And so I'm thankful for that because it does remind me of what a blessing it is to be able to see the connections in scripture, to, to read one passage about women being dragged off and remember where I fit in that story and mm-hmm. where I am. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> oh, I'm so thankful for that reminder. And thank you so much for, again, for being mm-hmm. here and for your words of encouragement. And just to all of the listeners hearing this, I, I hope you made it through the whole thing. I'm <laughs> um, so grateful for you being here, listeners, and just encourage you to go be in the word. Um, join us in the Bible reading challenge. If you're not there already, we would love to have you there with us. I'm so glad that you listened in on this conversation, friend. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and you haven't yet, you can find us at Women Encouraged on Instagram and on Facebook at the Women Encouraged page. You'll also find show notes and links in our website, women-encouraged.com. And as always, please feel free to send us a direct message or an email because we love getting to know you and hearing how the Lord is using these episodes in your life. If you've been blessed by the show, would you go over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating or a review? That helps us to stay visible for women who are looking for good content. Scripture tells us in Genesis that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our world is quickly becoming a place where gender is known either as a social construct or some kind of identity that we can choose at random, rather than a good distinction created by a good God. We serve a God who created us, as women, in His image. We're made by Him and for Him, and we express our womanhood beautifully when we live it out within the boundaries He's laid for us. I'm praying that you'll rejoice in Him as you embrace what He has designed and planned for you. Thanks again for being here.